This is the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast, coming to you from the heart of Honolulu, Hawaii. Hui Kala is a dynamic family of faith committed to solid Bible teaching, discipleship, and helping you grow in your faith. Grab your Bible and prepare to dig deep into the Word with Pastor Anthony King. James chapter 4 is where we're at tonight. This is kind of a continuation of last week's message, so if you missed that, you can get caught up on the Hui Kala app. The Hui Kala app will have the notes for tonight's message if you want to follow along that way as well. Uh, I believe last week and, and this week's message are probably two of the most important messages uh, for really kind of figuring out what you're supposed to do with your life. It's a common theme amongst like, uh, like youth conferences and stuff like that you go to, excuse me, or teen, teen rallies where the... The, the preacher will get up there and talk about, oh, some of you are getting ready to go off to college. You need to think about what the will of God is. and You need to serve Jesus with your life and things like that. And helpful? Absolutely. Should our teens hear that? Every week of the world. But sometimes we get this idea in our mind that, like, once you hit, like, 19 or 20, you've already found the will of God and you just need to continue on the path that you're on. But that's not always the case with everybody. Sometimes we need to stop and ask ourselves for a second, am I fulfilling the, the will of God Is this what God wants for my life? Is this how God is most glorified through my life? And if you missed last week's message, you need to hear it. I had a friend who was um, instrumental in starting who we call a Baptist church that uh, sent me an email this past week. He said, hey, pastor, I'm looking at retirement a few years down the road, and uh, I really could just use some wisdom and some guidance on what the next step is after retirement. And I said, listen to Sunday night's message and then get back with me. No lie. An hour and 15 minutes later, he says, okay, I need to set up a phone call with you. I was like, okay. But I I thought to myself, this is not applicable to teenagers finding the will of God, living the will of God. This is applicable to every single solitary Christian, uh, whether you're in in third grade or or whether you're 65 years old, 75 years old, 100 years old. This is applicable to you tonight. Uh, I've entitled tonight's message, Prioritizing the Will of God. James chapter 4, four verse number 13. We're going to go 4, 13 through uh, verse 17. Whereas you know not what, uh, verse number 13, sorry. Uh, go to now ye that say, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what is your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that you ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or do that. But now rejoice, but now you rejoice in your boastings, all such rejoicing is evil. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. These verses are really critical because there's only uh, four verses that we covered tonight, but every single one of them has like massive dynamite power in every single one of them. These are loaded up verses that we could really, uh, like we could preach a sermon series on your life is but a vapor and go through the scriptures and talk about the brevity and shortness of life and how important that is and living your life for the kingdom and investing things in for, with the kingdom mindset. We can make a whole sermon series on that. Uh, We can make a whole sermon series on finding God's will that could be weeks and weeks and weeks long just from this right here. Uh, Verse number 17, to him to know to do good and doeth it not, to him it's sin. That's a whole message by itself, but we're going to kind of roll it into the context of tonight's message uh, as well. But there's just so much good stuff in these passages of Scripture. So many things that I wish I had known as a a young man coming up, a young teen, uh, trying to make his way in the world, trying to figure out what I was supposed to do in my life. I remember uh, I was a senior in high school, and I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I just know I didn't want to go to college. Uh, I didn't want to uh, sit through four more years of of school after high school. I knew I didn't want to live and die in my hometown uh, of 4,000 people in western Kentucky. And I realized, like, hey, I just need to do something with my life. Otherwise, uh, I'm going to be working at the Piggly Wiggly bagging groceries and talking about how things used to be in high school like everybody else that I went to high school with. I can't live like that. For some of you, if you don't know what a Piggly Wiggly is, I'm sorry that you missed out on America. Uh, But... But so I began to craft a plan to get out of my hometown. Uh, I, I planned on maybe going to college or something like that, or going to a trade school so I didn't have to go to a full four years of college, maybe go to a year or two of uh, get some type of uh, uh, trade that I could do. 
uh, my buddy had, had said that he was going to go talk to the Air Force recruiters, and so we decided to go talk to the Air Force recruiters on a Saturday and ended up getting roped into talking to the Navy recruiters. Uh, before I left, I'd signed a, on a, the dotted line. My parents had to come back later and sign with me uh, to go into the delayed entry program in the Navy and uh, shift out September 18th of 1995 for boot camp. Every single solitary decision that I made in that entire process that I just told you was never once ever submitted to the authority of God. It was just like, hey, this sounds really good. I think this will work. I never prayed about any of that. I never asked other people to pray about that. I never asked what other people what they thought about that. I, mean, I talked over to my parents, and my parents were like, oh, you know, whatever you want to do, go for it. I mean, uh, the only person in my family that ever served in the military was my grandfather who served in World War II. Uh, nobody that I knew had been in the military. It's just like, hey, this is the quickest ticket out of my hometown, and I took it. Now, I look back and see God's hand of grace in my life. I look back at how God took somebody who is ridiculously foolish and shaped their path. God was incredibly gracious. When I met my wife, I was absolutely smitten uh, by her beauty, her personality, her smile to this day. is one of my favorite things in all the world. Loved it. We began to date, fell in love. I asked her to marry me. Uh, we put a, a date on the calendar. Not once did I ever ask anybody what they thought about it. No, not once did I ever pray about it. Not once did I ever... Uh, I, when I talked to her dad and she found out that, that uh, he found out that she was getting uh, married... We're on the phone together. This is back in the day where you had the phone that plugged into the wall, right? She got her dad on the phone, and she's like, oh, dad, I met this guy, and we're getting married next month. And he said, put him on the phone. And so, all right, here goes future father. Yes, sir. This is Anthony. He's just like, Anthony, what do you do for a living? Well, I'm in the Navy, sir. Put Put Angela back on the phone. Okay. And puts back on the phone. I told you to never date military guys. What's wrong with you? Uh, he's going to stick with you until he finds somebody better. He's going to dump you. That's how military guys are. They're not trustworthy. You can't trust them as far as you can throw them. The worst thing in the world that you could possibly do is marry a military guy. What were you thinking? And she's just like, sorry? He's like, I told you your whole life. Don't marry guys in the military. She's like, well, sorry. It's kind of a done deal at this point. No lie. This is how the conversation went. And we decided we were going to get married. So you know what we did? We began to look at places where we could get married and a date on the calendar. How is it all going to happen? And we invited our immediate family to come in and join in this joyous occasion. How many times did we pray about that joyous occasion? None. How many times did we seek godly wisdom from it? None. Not a bit. Not a lick. How much premarital counseling did we get? None. Man, we were just winging it. And so I want to... Speak to every single person in this room that would think for a split second, hey, that worked for pastor, maybe it would work for me. (laughs) Terrible idea. Terrible idea. Because here's the thing. You can never presuppose, that means bank in the future, on the grace of God. Every single thing that I described to you could have went terribly wrong, could have absolutely wrecked my life. My wife and I, when we got married, she didn't marry a pastor or a guy who wanted to be a pastor. She married a guy who was in the military who had no idea what he was going to do with his life. And so I say all that to say, first of all, always submit your plans to God first. That's what this passage is talking about. Not do your own thing and then hope that God blesses it. See, that's how we get messed up so many times. We make a mess of our life and then we ask God to bless the mess. No, 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 you should have never made the mess to begin with if you had submitted your plans to God first and foremost. I didn't do any of that, but God, let me tell you, the grace of God is incredible. God is incredibly gracious. He's been so good to us. I married way out of my league. I married way up, and I don't think my wife has figured out yet that she's married down, but she'll figure it out one of these days. Uh, But again, God was gracious, but never presuppose on the grace of God. It doesn't work. You can't just hope that God will be gracious as you make foolish decisions. Now, as we look at this passage of Scripture, we have to understand, first of all, that we can't make plans that don't factor in the will of God. We just can't. That has to be first and foremost of the things that we think about when we begin to make our plans. 
Is this God's will? Now, again, I'm not going to tell you how to find God's will. We talked about that last Sunday night. If you missed it, uh, look it up on the app or our podcast. But it basically breaks down to Proverbs 3, 5, and 6. We'll, we'll direct your path for sure. And there's key questions like, how does God maximize his glory in my life? Key questions we have to ask for, what is God's will? But you and I don't get the liberty of making our own plans at the exclusion of God's will. Because when it comes down to the Christian life, the Christian life is not lived based on reasoning, but it's lived based on faith. Again, I, I, I joined the Navy because I thought it was a great idea, because it's the best way out of my hometown. Because if I put in $100 a month for the first year, I could get $14,400 for college. We can tell that to an 18-year-old. You're like, that's a lot of money for college, right? And then you go to enroll in college, you're like, oh, that's like half a semester. <laughs> it doesn't work at all. I thought it was a great idea. My parents thought it was a good idea to get me out of the house and get me moving in some direction, maybe learn a skill or do something with my life. Reasonably, it made sense. But the Christian life isn't about reason. You'll find... Some of you should write, down, write this down and live by this. Sometimes you'll find that faith defies reason. This doesn't make sense at all. This, this just on paper doesn't add up, but I trust God. You take a white kid from Kentucky who married a white girl from Pensacola, Florida, and they want to plant a church in one of the most multicultural cities in the United States, out in the middle of the ocean, where people are hostile towards people of light skin. In the middle of a city that has the highest cost of living of any city in America outside of uh, Manhattan, New York at the time. And you want to plant a church where, come to find out, we found out later that 18 churches had been started, 18, let me rephrase that, 18 Baptist churches had been started in Honolulu and every single one of them closed. Not very reasonable. But man, I didn't need reason when I had faith in the will of God. So again, your, your, your sheet with a line down the middle with your pros on one side and the cons, they don't factor into this at all when it talks about the will of God because here's the thing. James is talking specifically about two hypothetical people who have already made their pros and cons list. And when I'm talking to you today, I'm less concerned with what do you want to do with your life, and I'm more concerned with what does God want you to do with your life. Frankly, what you want to do doesn't interest me at all. What does God want you to do with your life? Man, every, every girl that I went to high school with in Kentucky wanted to be a marine biologist, you know, so they could go hang out with dolphins all day. Like, what is that, you know? Well, that sounds fun. I'm not interested in what sounds fun to you. What does God want you to do with your life? I, I, talk, with, I talk with people all the time, and uh, I, I was talking with, with a friend today, and I said, hey, what are you going to do when you retire from the military? He's like, I'm not sure. Well, what are some options that you got? Well, one of the things I thought about, you know, maybe being an airline pilot, and he goes, it sounds really luxurious and prestigious. He goes, but then you realize you're just a bus driver in the sky. I never thought of it that way. That's really funny to think about, a bus driver in the sky. And he goes, I don't know for me personally that I would find that really rewarding. And so I said, can I tell you one of the most rewarding things that I've ever done in my entire life? Outside of being a husband and a father, pastoring people is one of the most rewarding things I've ever done in my entire life. Have you ever considered that? And he said, I don't feel adequate for that. I don't feel adequate for it either. But could that factor into the will of God for you? I said, man, put that in your hopper. You know, if, if airline pilot and, and high school math teacher are the only things you got on your list, throw that one in the hopper and see how that shakes out when it comes to the will of God. Again, you talk about the people who have the pros and cons list. That's what we see in verse number 13 here. 
Go to now ye that say today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city and continue there a year and buy and sell and get gain. We often make decisions based on what we want. I remember when I was separating from the military, uh, what did I want? Honestly, we, Angela and I had talked about you know, moving back to the South because we both grew up on, in the South. Man, Chick-fil-A in the mall while you're getting your hair cut at Master Cuts, you know, drinking sweet tea and chicken nuggets while you're waiting for your number to be called. That's life, you know? Some of you know what I'm talking about. Some of you are like, what are you talking about? Like riding four-wheelers in the mud in the summertime? Like that's life, you know? Like snowball fights in the front yard of Grandma's house? Like that's life. And we begin to think and dream things like that. How nice it would be to be close to family and go home for, for Thanksgiving and be there for Christmas and Christmas morning the kids open the presents and then family comes over and, and talks and we have breakfast together and we sit around and then we take naps. And Is that what we want? Sure. Who wouldn't want that? Is that God's will for our life? Not even remotely close. But so many times people make decisions based on that. Oh, it's, it's too expensive to live here. Okay, if it's God's will, would he provide for you? I, I mean, you go to church with a room full of people who somehow have figured out a way to make it work. Could that be God's will for you? Oh, it's, it's too far away from X, Y, or Z. Okay, are you going to make your decision based on God's will, based on price and proximity? It's a terrible way to make your decisions. The question is, is it God's will? But oftentimes we want to ask ourselves the question, what do we want? And again, we got our folks in verse number 13 with their pros and cons list. They begin to ask questions like this. When, where, how long, what, and why? So, first question they ask, when, today or tomorrow? Take a look at verse number 13. Go now to you today that say, today or tomorrow we'll go into such a city. So the first question they have is, when, today or tomorrow, where? Such a city, for how long? A year. What are we going to do? Buy and sell. Why? To make money. Isn't that interesting? When, where, how long, what, why? And I, I promise you this. They had themselves a neat little, uh, it was probably a stone tablet that they had set up, right? Or a piece of papyrus or something like that that they had made. But they had a line down the middle. When? When should we go? What's the best time to go? Oh, I'm on cheap tickets right now, and I, can, I see we can get there, you know, by this time next week. Okay, we'll put it in the today or tomorrow category. Oh, where are we going to go? Uh, I don't know. How about we go to such and so city? Yeah, yeah, that'd be a good idea. How long do we stay there? Uh, I don't know. A year or so? That sounds great. What are we going to do? We'll just, like, buy stuff and sell stuff. That would be awesome. But why would we buy stuff and sell stuff? So we can get rich. Oh, yeah. Great idea. Guess what? They got it all figured out. Again, who needs to pray about this? It's obvious what we're supposed to do, right? I mean, it's kind of a no-brainer. No need to pray about this. No need to seek godly counsel. No need to walk by faith. We got this figured out. We don't have to have God involved in our plans because we got this. Do you see the arrogancy of statements like that? And you're like, oh, yeah, those shameful people in the Bible. No, no, I'm talking about us. I'm talking about me. When I think to myself, like, oh, yeah, I could totally do this. I could totally do that. I'm going to do it this way. No, I'm going to do it that way. Oh, this is the best way. I know better than anybody else. Whether that's how I live my life, whether that's what job I work, whether that's where I live, whether that's how I raise my kids, I have to realize that I don't know everything. I have to realize that God's plans are many times greater than my own plans. And so I have to ask the question, what's God's will? Look, we can't make our plans based on worldly metrics. What are worldly metrics that define success? Somebody help me with that. Money, the first thing you thought of, wasn't it? Are you successful? I don't know. We'll find out. How much do you make? That'll determine whether or not you're a success or whether you're a failure. Very first metric, somebody shout out that didn't think about it, and the second they said it, everybody else was like, oh, yeah, money. What's the other metric that we use to determine success or failure in the world? Status. Status, for sure. How do other people view me? 
I hope they don't view me as like lower than anybody else. That would be terrible. Someone else said occupation. Again, it's one of the things that we do when we get to know somebody, right? Hey, how'd you find Hui Kala? Oh, that's great. How long have you lived here? Oh, that's awesome. What brought you to Hawaii? Work. That's awesome. What kind of work do you do? And I don't do this, but I hope, I hope to God no one in this church, and let's say I don't use hope to God in, in vain. I, like, I truly hope to God that no one in this church would ever judge someone based on what comes out of their mouth next. That would be shameful. Oh, you're just a housewife. <laughs> That's cute. Oh, you're a homeschool mom. That must be so difficult. <laughs> Have you ever tried to homeschool kids before? Let me just tell you. Look, I've climbed Mount Whitney before. That was a piece of cake compared to homeschooling my kids for a day. Like, no kidding. Like, like seriously, it's hard work. I hope we would never judge anybody based on their occupation forming in our mind an idea based on their status of who they are or what they, type of work they do. What are some other metrics that we determine success or failure? Education. Education. Oh, you went to college. Where'd you go to college? Oh, that's cute. Shawnee State College. That's cute. Oh, West Kentucky Community College. That's so nice. I went to University of Kentucky. Wildcats. What's up? Right? Oh, yeah, you went to, uh, you know, Colorado State Community College. I've never seen them in the Final Four before. I went to Duke. <laughs> oh, okay. Impressed by education? Hey, when people tell me, like, where they went to school, my first question is, how much student loan debt do you have, you know? <laughs> that makes me nervous. What are some other things we do to judge based on success, worldly metrics. What's that? Relationships. Are you married? <laughs> Somebody your age is not married? Wow, what's wrong with you? <laughs> or, oh, you got married at 19. Hmm. We make judgment calls based on that. Success or failure, but whether you're in a relationship or not in a relationship. It's interesting, sometimes single, married people will find this uh, uh, entertaining. Sometimes single adults look at married couples and think, because you're married, you've made it. You did it. Look at you. You like won at life. You got a spouse. And many married people are like, you don't know this is not a win, right? <laughs> like, this is hard work. This is difficult. And I had a, a, a single lady that uh, Angela and I uh, had, had discipled. Uh, sweet as the day is long. She's probably in her, her mid-30s, uh, unmarried, wants nothing more than just to marry a man of God and have kids and be a mom. It's not, not where she's at in life right now. And uh, Angela talked to her about a year or so ago, and she said, you know, I'm really surprised that some dude hasn't come along and just like swooped you up. And she said this, I'd rather be single and have joy than to be married and be miserable. Amen. <sighs> Wow, there's some wisdom for you. But no, we make judgment calls based on whether or not people are successful or, or failures based on are you married or not? Do you have lots of friends or not? Like, uh, I've known people who judge people based on their follower, follower accounts on social media. Oh my goodness, like I'm going to listen to him. He's got like 10 followers on Twitter. What? Like that factors into how you judge people? That is utterly ridiculous fake people on the internet. What the world? What are some other metrics we use to determine success or failure? Stuff. What kind of car you drive? Yeah. What's that? Do you have a nice house? Like, where do you live? What neighborhood do you live in? Well, how big is your house? We judge people based on material things. Look, every guy that you see driving through Honolulu in a Ferrari is not successful. because you're using the wrong metric of success. Oh, he might be a multi-millionaire. <laughs> look, just to give you a heads up, there are people on the internet that make millions of dollars every year opening toys 
on the internet. Did you know that that's a thing? Like, how did I miss out on that, right? Like, why, didn't I, why couldn't I get in on that? Let my kids be like, Dad, you should totally open toys on the internet and we'll make millions of dollars. So let me ask you this question. If you ask me, what do I do for a living? And I say, I open toys on the internet. Would you deem me as successful? I think most people would say no. But here's the problem with all of that. You're using the wrong metrics. You're judging off the wrong scorecard. The scoring sheet that you've been given, let me tell you this, the scoring sheet that you've been given by American society is all full of lies. You gotta toss it to the side and get a new score sheet. Question number one on the real score sheet is this, am I in the will of God? Question one. And here's the thing. I'm going to help you with this. If the answer to question number one is no, see question two. Are you pursuing the will of God? If the answer to that is yes, then you're going the right direction. If you're not in the will of God and not pursuing the will of God, I will tell you this. You are not successful in God's eyes. If you're not in the will of God or pursuing the will of God, you are not successful in the eyes of God. So again, you can chase the world's success. You can start your own company. You can be an entrepreneur. You can be a multimillionaire. You can have all the fancy cars, a big house, take lavish vacations, have 10,000, 100,000 followers on Instagram. But if you are not living and or pursuing the will of God, you are not successful in life. And so we need to rethink Am I successful according to what God says is important? Do I love God with every fiber of my being? Do I love my neighbor the same way that I love myself? Am I living a life that matters for eternity? Am I living with kingdom principles? Man, one of the best books I've ever read in my entire life, like top 10 best books ever read in my entire life, are written by Donald Whitney called 10 Questions to Diagnose Your Spiritual Health. Because you ask yourself, how am I doing spiritually? That's kind of an arbitrary question. I think I'm good. Well, here, here's 10 questions that outlines like how to do a heart check. I probably read that book like once a year. It's that powerful. It's a fairly short book too. And you can read like a chapter a day if you wanted to. But the question is, am I pursuing spiritual things? Or am I chasing after worldly success? Next we see in this passage when it comes to prioritizing God's will, we have to factor in the shortness of life. Verse number 14 says, Whereas you know not what shall be on the morrow, for what's your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and vanisheth away. Man, when you're, when you're a kid, you don't think about your life being over, death or anything like that, or at least you shouldn't. When you're like 18 to like 21, you think you're invincible, right? Like I see like people like blowing stuff up on the internet because they're shooting Roman candles at each other. Like we did that like every 4th of July, like Roman candle fights. Kids, it's bad. Don't do it, right? I'm, I'm, being, I'm not trying to be funny. I'm being serious. Like I should be dead or have burned something to the ground by now out of foolish behavior. But when you're 18 to 21, that window, you're invincible, Nothing can hurt you until it does. And then you realize, wait a minute, life's really short. And then somewhere, I was, I was probably maybe around 20 years old when someone that I went to high school passed away. Like, whoa, that was strange. Then somebody else was drunk driving on a motorcycle, hit a telephone pole, died. A guy sat across the aisle from a psychology class, Mr. Bolton's psychology class, junior year. Sasha sat across the, dude named Sasha, sat across from me in psychology class, got drunk on a motorcycle, hit a telephone pole, died. And I remember thinking to myself at like 20, man, like Sasha's like dead. That was heavy for me. I remember I was probably in my 
early, early 30s or so. We were uh, in California at the time and, and served on staff at a church there. Uh, and um, my brother, who owned a funeral home at the time in Kentucky, had uh, let me know that one of the guys that I was in high school marching band with that played the saxophone, his name was Ray. Ray had a heart attack and died while he was delivering pizzas. I'm like 30. I was just like, whoa, 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 whoa. And I remember this verse. James chapter 5, verse number 14. I wrote it on a 3 by 5 card and set it beside my bed. Because I thought to myself, like, if I die today, is everything right in my life? Is there anybody that I need to make things right with? Because, man, like, people are dropping like flies that are my age. Like, I'm thinking in my mind, I'm going to live to be like at least 96. I'm going to be hard to kill, okay? But I don't have a, I'm not in control of any of that. Is there anybody I need to make some things right with? Am I loving my wife and my children well? Do I have a solid testimony for Christ? When I'm dead and gone, what do I leave behind? I'm not talking about real estate or bank accounts. I'm talking about the legacy of faith that I leave. And man, I'm telling you this, that messed me up for a solid month. Just thinking like, man, like, my number's coming one of these days. But then there became less fear about that and more faith about that. Like, okay, if my days are numbered, what can I do to maximize my days here on earth? You know, people have all the time have like oh, a bucket list. I want to do this before I die or that before I die. I made a decision a long time ago. If I want to do something before I die, I'm going to do it like this week. Because I can't have a list of things that I want to hopefully maybe possibly do one day and then never make it there. I just can't. So if you ask me the things I want to do in life, I've already done them all. I wouldn't you like to go to Israel? I'd love to go to Israel. That would be awesome. And if I get there, I get there. If I don't, I don't. Because I realize that life is short, and i got to make what counts count like now. I'm not going to start pursuing the will of God five years from now, ten years from now, twenty years from now, because that day might never come. I'm not going to be a man of God for my household one of these days after things clear up at work, because things are never going to clear up at work, and I'm going to be dead and gone, and my kids are going to have a dad that didn't love Jesus. Not on my watch. So I made a decision, man, if... I'm going to live this life for what I, it's for, living for the glory of God. And so I'm not going to leave anything left in the tank when it's my time to go. I'm not going to leave a list of things that were undone when it's my time to go. I'm going to accomplish the will of God in my lifetime, whatever that means. I want to encourage you to do the same. What's life? It's but a vapor. It appears for a short time and then vanisheth away. If there's something that God wants you to do, do it now. Keep your finger here in James. We're coming back. But turn to Luke chapter 12 if you would. Luke chapter 12, verse number, we'll start in verse number 13. And one of the company, a group of guys around talking to Jesus, said unto him, Master, speak to my brother that he divide his inheritance with me. Now he was telling Jesus, hey, tell my brother that we're supposed to split the inheritance 50-50. For in biblical times, the firstborn son got a double portion of the father's inheritance. And so he's saying, hey, uh, Master, because you're the boss, Tell this guy that he needs to split it down the middle with me. And here's what Jesus said. And he said unto him, man, who made me a judge or divider over you? And he said unto them, talk about scorecards. Take heed and beware of covetousness that's desiring something that doesn't belong to you. For a man's life consisteth not in the abundance of the things which he possesseth. <laughs> if you have a red letter edition of the Bible, that's in red. Because Jesus says, you are not worth what you have your possessions do not define your value beware of covetousness another word we could say in our society today beware of materialism 
Stuff doesn't make you happy. Stuff doesn't make you valuable. And let me just tell you this. For every person who lines up at the Louis Vuitton store and buys a $6,000 purse or a $12,000 suitcase because that makes them feel like something, they don't know what Jesus said. There's no value in those things. Look, I wouldn't give you $200 for a Louis Vuitton suitcase. It's not valuable to me. I've seen how they handle my luggage at the airport. We buy our luggage, TJ Maxx. I'm just saying it's there. But here's what he says, uh, verse number 16. He spake a parable unto them, saying, The ground of a certain rich man brought forth plentifully. And he thought within himself, saying, What shall I do, because I have no room to bestow my fruits? And he said, This I'll do. I'll pull down my barns, I'll build greater, and there I will bestow all my fruits and all my good. And I will say unto my soul, Soul, thou hast much goods laid up for many years. Take thine ease, eat, drink, and be merry. He talked about a guy who made it. This dude was rich. Here's the thing. This guy was so rich, he didn't have enough place to put all of his stuff. So you know what he said? I'm going to bulldoze everything, make something even bigger so that I can have all my stuff stored so that I can just chill for the next few years because I'm successful. And here's what God said to that. Verse number 20, you talk about God's will. But God said unto him, thou fool, this night thy soul shall be required of thee. Then... Whose shall those things be which thou hast provided? So he that layeth up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. And that's heavy, right? So Jesus is saying this. You can be rich here on earth or you can be rich in God, but you can't do both. And so now again, some people are like, whoa, is it a sin to be rich? Should we all take a vow of poverty? No, it's not what it's saying. It's saying if the, your goal is to be rich, you want to be the rich man. You want to have all the stuff. You can't do that and be rich in God at the same time. You're either going to chase after the things of this world. That's why Jesus says you can't serve two masters. Your loved one and hate the other. No man can serve God and money. Mammon, he said there, money. Jesus went so far as to say this. It's easier for a camel to fit through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. Why? Because if you love money, love, 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 got to have it. Your heart's not in the right place. Your heart is not towards God, that's for sure. But here's what the, aside from the covetousness, aside from the materialism, aside from the desire for money, here's what this guy said. Hey, I'm going to set myself up for the next several years. And God says, no, you're not. You're going to die tonight. So again, we can make all the plans that we want to, but they will ultimately be submitted to the final authority of God's will. And so it's better to make those plans in advance with God's will in mind than it is to submit our plans to God only to have them rejected in favor of God's will. Because at the end of the day, we have no promise of tomorrow. Proverbs 27, verse number 1, Boast not thyself of tomorrow, for thou knowest not what a day may bring forth. Job 14, verse number 1, A man that is born of a woman is of few days and full of trouble. He cometh forth like a flower and is cut down. He fleeth also as a shadow and continueth not. Job went further than, the, than James, and he says, Life's not like a vapor, life's like a shadow. Have you ever tried to chase your own shadow before? It's always fun to see kids interact with their shadows, right? But there comes a point where the shadow's gone. So is your life. So if there's something you're supposed to do, you need to do it today. Oh, I'm going to give up pornography next year. No, you're not. You should do it today. Oh, I've got this toxic relationship in my life. I'm going to work on getting that out of here in the next 30 days. No, you should get it out like today. Oh, I really want to be more faithful reading my Bible, but July 1st has already come. I'm going to wait till August 1st. Don't just do it today. It's fine. If there's something you're supposed to do, do it. Some of you might be pondering what life is like after retirement or after uh, your military career is over. 
man, I hope you put God's will at the top of that. And I hope service to Jesus somewhere factors in those top few categories of things you're supposed to do with your life because that's the will of God is to serve Jesus. Now go back to, to James chapter 4. I want you to see this. Take a look at verse number 17. You should circle verse 17. It's a really good one. You should circle verses 13 through 16 as well. They're all good. Verse 17 says, Therefore to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. So if you know God's will and you know what it is and you disobey it, it's a sin. As we saw this morning, first of all, God hates sin. If you're a child of God, God will not punish you for your sin, but God has no problem chastising you for your sin. And that doesn't mean it's necessarily going to be any less painful. See, God doesn't tolerate sin. He has a zero-tolerance policy when it comes to sin. So as you know what you're supposed to do, but you willingly do not do it, you're disobeying God, therefore that's a sin. Now again, this goes in every area of the Christian life. That's why Solomon says in the book of Ecclesiastes, with much wisdom comes much sadness. Because when you can see things for what they really are, it's kind of sad. When you see the person that's on their fourth and fifth marriage, you don't just look at that and go, wow, I wonder what happened with the first five. You look and you say, wow, something's broken there and I'm not sure what it is and my heart hurts for that person. So again, when we look at the will of God, if you know what it's supposed to, it's supposed to be and you're not doing it, it's disobedience. But here's the beautiful thing. I said, God is somewhat gracious with ignorance. Again, take a look at verse number 17. It's talking about him that knoweth to do good and purposely rebels against God. To him it's sin. Now again, anytime you disobey God, whether it's ignorance or, or willful disobedience, it's sin. But the way that James phrases this in a, a phrase that Paul uses uh, earlier in his writings where he says, I did things out of ignorance, leads us to believe that God leaves a little bit of grace room for those that were ignorant. They didn't know any better. Now again, we have to understand what ignorant means. It doesn't mean that you're dumb or you're stupid. Uh, again, those are bad words. Don't use those children. Uh, but ignorant means you didn't know any better. And so, again, my interpretation is I look through my life through the lens of the Bible. I look back at an 18-year-old kid who wanted nothing more in the world to get out of his hometown and made a decision to just do what he wanted to do because he'd been surrounded in an environment where everybody told him to follow his heart, and he did. Fast forward to find a guy who finds a girl, boy meets girl, she has a million-dollar smile, and he's immediately smitten with her and desires to marry her. He does without consulting God or God's wisdom. God looks at that and goes, I'm just going to be really gracious with this. You have an ignorant man who married an ignorant woman that didn't know any better, and I'm just going to give a lot of grace there. My interpretation of my life based on scripture however this is important once you know what you're doing wrong and you choose to willingly rebel against that you're a 100 percent on the hook for the consequences for that does that make sense like had i known hey i know not praying about this hey i know making this decision is not right i know it's not the will of god but i choose to do it anyways that's outright rebellion against god and he sees that differently as like you just didn't know and as angela and i got married and we began to grow in our faith and we began to hear preaching from god's word that we'd never heard before in our entire life we began to read the bible for ourselves which we'd never done before in our entire life the holy spirit began to do things in us that were like oh no i think we're wrong Hey, I think it's wrong for me to listen to music that has curse words in it. I think I should throw it all away. And my wife's like, that's like $4,000 worth of CDs. I know, but I don't want anybody else to have them. Because it's a sin. And I throw it away. As opposed to, yeah, I know it's not right, but I just want to do my own thing anyways. And we begin to be confronted with the type of movies that we watch. Man, convicted. Man, cut it off. Friendships that we had that were not Christ-honoring, man, cut it off. Why? Because we didn't know any better, but now that we know, we just want to walk with Jesus. 
Now that we know we just want to be useful to the kingdom. Now that we know we just want God to do something awesome in our lives. And man, if that means giving up this, this, or this, I didn't know any better, but now I do, and I choose to choose what's right. And let me just tell you this. If you call who we call your home, you call yourself a Bible-believing Christian, don't ever let your kids grow up with the ignorance excuse. Every single one of my kids, you choose to walk a path of rebellion and disobedience against God, please know that you're doing that with full knowledge of what that means. And you stand guilty before God 100% because your parents told you better. Your parents raised you better. You know the scriptures for yourself and what they say. You're 100% on the hook for that. Not like, well, I didn't really train my kids so they didn't really know. Terrible. We as parents need to, to make sure that we're doing what we need to do to train, teach, disciple our own children. And Christian, as you read through the scriptures and whatever you read in scriptures doesn't jive with what's taking place in your life, please take time to make the appropriate corrections. And, and please understand this. Whenever your feelings don't line up with scripture, please understand your feelings are wrong. 100% of the time. When your feelings don't line up with Scripture, your feelings are wrong 100% of the time. Your heart is deceitfully wicked. You can't trust it. Who can know it? Don't follow your heart. Worst advice ever given, known to man, follow your heart. Your heart's wicked and it will lead you astray. So, when it comes down to it, we have to submit all of our plans to the sovereignty of God's will. God, you're in charge. I'm not. Here's what I want. If it's not what you want, change it. If it's not what you want, guide me differently. Now, again, how does God guide? God guides through his word. God guides through godly counsel. God guides through wisdom, discernment. God doesn't discern. God doesn't uh, uh, guide through traffic lights. Oh, I was praying that this is supposed to move to Tuscaloosa, Alabama. I think of a really good name. Tuscaloosa is good. I was praying the other day if I was supposed to go to Tuscaloosa that the red light on P.E. Coy would be green. And I pulled up and it was green. I just knew, Tuscaloosa, here I come. What? That's, that's terrible. God, God doesn't speak through traffic lights. He doesn't. I promise. He speaks through his word. He speaks through godly wisdom. And look, you tell me that you're moving to Tuscaloosa, Alabama because of a red light on P.E. Coy, I'm going to have a sit down with the scriptures with you. Not in a mean way, but just to help you learn and grow in wisdom. All of that has to be submitted to the will of God. And, and let me say this. When people do not want to submit their will to the will of God, when people do not want to follow godly counsel, 99% of the time, it's because they just want what they want. Now, let me just tell you, that's a terrible place to be because I've been there. I've chased after my own heart before, and it led me to a very empty place. But let me tell you this, I've chased after Jesus with my whole heart. And I felt like the man that Jesus talked about when he went to buy a field, and he found a treasure in the field, and he went and sold everything he had so that he could buy the field. That's what I feel like. I feel like I bought the field. Lock, stock, and barrel. 100% in on Jesus. But I find oftentimes people don't want godly counsel because it goes against what they want to do. I shared with our, our single adults on Friday night, there was a, a girl who had gotten into a terrible dating relationship with a guy who claimed to be a Christian. Who uh, He didn't attend our church, but she did. Um, she, she purposely did not tell me about this, and things went terribly wrong, and there was a terrible egregious moral sin that took place she comes to me devastated brokenhearted tells me about this guy and i said whoa 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 whoa! i could have saved you all the trouble i know all about that guy i've called that guy's pastor before and told him keep him away from this place and you should church discipline him out of your church i know that guy you shouldn't have anything to do with him i said why didn't you come and talk to me here was her answer because I knew exactly what you'd say. But, no, I, I was trying to save you from that. Yeah, I know. I didn't want to be saved. Got it. Okay. 
You know why? Because we're raised in a society where the heart wants what the heart wants and what the heart wants, the heart gets. Okay. You're going to get stuck with something that you really don't want because your heart doesn't know what it wants. Your heart wants Jesus. And obeying the will of God brings satisfaction and fulfillment that your heart craves. The will of God has the answer to that for you. When you're dead center in the will of God, there's nothing sweeter. Hey, look, of all the times that bad things happened to us here, when we moved back to start Huikala, nothing could shake me because I knew for a fact I was in the center of God's will. When we got the keys to 1216 Waimanu Street, man, we were overjoyed. For years, we had been praying, planning, preparing for Huikala to get started. It didn't even have a name. It was just the Honolulu Church Plan at that time. So excited. We found a building. We put in an offer. Went back and forth for like three months. We were told we were out of the running. Then we're back in the running. Then we're out again. They'll never take your offer. And then they come out and take our offer. We signed a lease. They give us a date. Show up here. Real estate agent hands us the keys. We unlock it. We walk in. We're so excited. I parked my car on the curb. The car I told you about this morning that I bought that I shouldn't have bought. And I left my iPad in the driver's side pocket. <laughs> you know where this is going. <laughs> Woke up the next morning. Car's still there. iPad's not. And it's just like, ah. Was I discouraged? Not even a little bit. I thought to myself, come on, devil. Is that the best you got? Really? Like, no, no, I'm dead sinner in the will of God. And, and like an iPad getting stolen? Like I'm, well, I'm supposed to get bent out of shape about that? Please. No, no, no. It's going to take a lot more than that to get me off track because I'm dead sinner in the will of God where God wants me to be. And so when you find that place where you're supposed to be, and again, I'm not talking about like, oh, one of these days I'm supposed to be a missionary to India. I'm talking about where you're supposed to be like this week, the will of God. When you find that, that's a sweet spot where like everything like comes together. You'll have joy. You'll have satisfaction. It's not based on where you live, who you live with, what kind of car you drive, how much money you make, what job you have. No, no, no. I'm in the will of God. Like I could plant pineapples in Hawaii if I'm in the will of God. Like I could do anything. It's not about that. It's about being where God wants me to be. Turn to Psalm 37, the last passage we'll look at tonight. We're done. I was going to read this to you, but it's, it's too good to quote. You've got to read it for your own self. It's so good. Psalm 37, verse number 1. This is, these first nine verses, some of you should memorize them. You should definitely meditate on them. And just come back to this again and again. Psalm 37, verse 1. Fret not thyself because of evildoers, neither be thou envious against the workers of iniquity. Hey, look, everybody that's not living for Jesus, don't worry about them. Stop worrying about them. Well, I know, but they have things that I don't want, that, that I have that I want. Hey, don't be envious of them. You don't want what they, what they have. Don't worry about people that aren't walking with Jesus. Verse 2. For they shall soon be cut down like the grass and wither as the green herb. Here's what you should do. Verse 3. Trust in the Lord and do good. So thou shalt dwell in the land and verily thou shalt be fed. Verse number 4. Critical. Critical. Highlight, circle, underline, star, memorize. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. Here's the thing. Many times you and I want the desires of our heart, but we forget to delight ourselves in the Lord. And then it comes down to, I want God's stuff, I just don't want God. And so if I have to pick one, I don't want God, I want his stuff. And it doesn't work that way. Because when you delight yourself in the Lord, get this. This is critical to finding and living out God's will. When you delight yourself in the Lord, the desires of your heart will change. Yeah. 
And that's what you get. There was a time in my life where I desired sports cars. I wanted to own a Lamborghini since the time I was like 10. And I'd made a pass as a young guy in my 20s to make it happen. I wanted to be able to retire by the time I was 30. I wanted to be able to travel the world and see all kinds of things. I wanted to have money and status and success. And let me just tell you this. God didn't give me those things even though they were the desire of my heart. You know why? Because I wasn't delighting in the Lord. But the moment that I delighted in the Lord, I thought to myself, the best thing that I want for my life is cars. The best thing I want for my life is not to have to work. The best thing that I could dream of in my life is that I want money and status. That's as big as you can dream, Anthony. Shame on you, Anthony King. Shame on you. Don't you want to love your wife the way that Jesus loves the church? Don't you want to raise up men and women of God out of your own house that would go out and change the world in their generation? Don't you want those things? And then I said, oh, I want those things so much more. I don't care what kind of car I drive. I really don't. I'll take the bus. I've done that before. I'll ride a bike. I've done that before. I almost killed myself on a skateboard before. I got no problem with that. Cars, please. I want so much more than that. Money, please. My God owns everything. And if you think about it for, for just a second, and we've realized this in our current uh, political situation that we're in, money is just whatever people say it is. It has no inherent value in and of itself. It's numbers. That's all it is. <laughs> and something that had value last year has no more value this year. And something that was cheap last year is of exorbitant value this year. It's all relative and it doesn't matter at the end of the day. So you're going to chase after money? Please, pick something better. But he's not done. Again, I love verse 4. But then he goes on in verse 5. Commit thy way into the Lord. Trust also in him. And he shall bring it to pass. And he shall bring forth righteousness as the light. And thy judgment as the noonday. Rest in the Lord. And wait patiently for him. Fret not of thyself because of him who prospereth in his way. Because the man who bringeth the wicked device shall pass. Cease from anger. Forsake wrath. Fret not thyself in any way wise to do evil. For evildoers shall be cut off. But those that wait on the Lord, they shall inherit the earth. Oh, I don't know about you, but that's so powerful because my heart is so often drawn towards the things of the world. But I have to look and go, no, 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 no. I've got Jesus, which is the greatest prize ever. Are you living in God's will? Or are you chasing after that fake scorecard that gets handed out? Are you living in God's will or are you just trying to figure out the best way you know how to make it through life? Are you living out God's will or are you kind of doing what you feel like is comfortable? Have you submitted your plans to God for sign-off? Or are you just saying like, hey, today or tomorrow, we'll go into such and so city, we'll buy, we'll sell, and then we'll make a lot of money? Or are you saying, hey, if I'm supposed to stay put, I stay put because I just want to be in God's will. Hey, if I'm supposed to go, I want to go because I want to be in God's will. Hey, if I'm supposed to serve, I want to serve because I want to be in God's will. Hey, if God's got something he needs from me, I'm not waiting until I'm 20 or 30 or 40 or 50. I'm not going to wait until I get married. I'm not going to wait until uh, things clear up at work. I'm going to start living for Jesus like today. If there's something God wants me to do, I don't have a promise of tomorrow, so I got to make sure I get it done today. I'm not making a bucket list of things I want to get done by the time I'm 65 or 85. I'm trying to get my stuff done today because God's got something for me tomorrow as well. But see, none of that happens if your heart isn't in the right place. If you really just want to do what you want to do, feel free to do that. But God is not obligated to bless that. God's not obligated to be gracious towards that. God doesn't owe you or I anything. But when we submit ourselves to the Lord, he's obligated by his word to bless that. And so we have to trust in that promise. Most important thing in the world if you're here today and you don't know for sure that you're saved. You can't know anything about walking with Jesus until you know him first as Savior. But for those of us that are saved, man, let's live a life of purpose that matters directly dead set in the will of God. 
Thanks for joining us for the Hui Kala Baptist Church podcast. We'd love to have you as our guest this Sunday morning at 10 a.m. You'll find exciting classes for your keiki, a welcoming church family, and a message from the Bible that's sure to encourage your heart. Join us this Sunday. You belong here.